amen. If you don't know, my name is Pastor Joe, and we've been in a series in the book of Hebrews, and we're continuing that series in chapter 8. So let me read for you hearing from Hebrews chapter 8, and if you're watching online, you should be able to follow along right on the screen. Now the main point of what, being, of what is being said is this. We have this kind of high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. A minister in the sanctuary and the true tabernacle that was set up by the Lord and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it was necessary for this priest to also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest since those who are offering the gifts prescribed by the law, these serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But Jesus has now obtained a superior ministry, and to that degree he is the mediator of a better covenant, which has been established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion for a second one. But finding fault with the people, he says, See, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their ancestors on the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. I showed no concern for them, says the Lord, because they did not continue in my covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. For each person will not teach his fellow citizen and each brother or sister saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least to the greatest of them. For I will forgive their wrongdoings and I will never again remember their sins. By saying a new covenant, he declared that the first is obsolete. And what is obsolete is growing old and is about to pass away. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's praise God. So we start off and we see right in verse 1 that the author of Hebrews says, here's the main point. And another way, if you look at the original language, another way of looking at it, it's like, this is the head. This is what this is about. And if you have been paying attention, we have been talking about a high priest since week three. <laughs> we have been building up and talking about Melchizedek, but not really talking about him, because we wanted to talk to him about him a couple weeks ago. And yet, 
always standing in the background of Hebrews is this idea of high priest. This is a big deal in the book of Hebrews. And we see in this passage, we see that, that the author of Hebrews explains that, that Jesus is a priest who presides over a heavenly reality. He talks about the tabernacle. And it's real interesting that he pulls on the tabernacle. He doesn't pull on the details of Herod's temple, the temple that was standing in the day that the author was writing. In fact, one of the reasons that we know Hebrews was written kind of early is because he talks about the sacrifices as if they're still being offered up at the temple throughout the whole book with no indication of it being destroyed, which happened in 70 A.D. He's not talking about Herod's temple, who was uh, like kind of a king set up by Rome in that area of Judea. He's not talking even about Solomon's temple, which is a beautiful temple when they were, the, the people of God remembered fondly, where the presence of God met and heaven and earth met and the people would come from all over, right? And they would offer their sacrifices. He's not even talking about Solomon's temple. He's talking about the tabernacle. What is the tabernacle? It means tent. He's talking about back when God's people were wandering around in the wilderness and the way that they would go is they would follow a pillar of fire at night and a column of smoke in the day. And this was a temple, but it was a temple that was a tent and they could move the thing around and God's people had to follow this thing around and they would be careful not to go before God or behind him. That they would, they would want to be in God's presence. And it's amazing because when you look at it, the journey from Egypt to Jerusalem is like a week and yet it took God's people 40 years to wander that desert and they knew they knew they were better off going around in circles with the living God in his presence in a wilderness than they were just going using their own maps using the locals telling them which way to go etc cetera, etc cetera. brothers and sisters you and I we follow Jesus. Jesus is the one who lives in heaven where there's the real tabernacle. And here's the thing. We tend to think that, and then we, we get this from, you know, the culture. We get this from ancient Greek philosophy. This goes really deep in our roots. But what we think, we think that this life, this physical life is very, like, real tangible and then the spiritual life is kind of foggy and misty sometimes we think of heaven as this place where babies play stringed harps where it's in black and white where it's all foggy and smoky and it's a little less real but the scriptures 
are always reminding us that the things we experience now are the shadows. The things we experience now are the copies. That in fact, the things to come are more real than the things that we are experiencing now. Which if we were to put our heads on our shoulders, we would realize it's true. What we go through is temporary. What we go through right now ain't going to last. But we are looking towards something that will last. There's a book by C.S. Lewis. I'd encourage you to read it if you like reading. Especially if you like reading like fiction it's a book called The Great Divorce. And it's C.S. Lewis sort of writing about the afterlife. And this guy, he dies, and he goes, and it's, it's fiction, it's not real, but what he's doing is he's using pictures to try to describe things that are truths. And um, there's a guy, he gets in on a bus, and this bus does a loop from heaven to hell. And he describes hell kind of like this never ending, expanding city where you just go out further and further and further and there's just like crummier and crummier suburbs. <laughs> and um, everything's gray. Everything's hopeless. <laughs> Everything is empty. And then he gets on the bus, he goes to heaven and the colors hurt his eyes when he stands on the grass when he stands on the grass the blades of grass cut his feet what truth is he trying to convey he's trying to convey this biblical truth that in fact we live in the shadow and when we talk about losing the image of god when we talk about becoming more selfish when we talk about that that fate of destruction now we're sliding to that unreality, that destruction, that shadow, more and more and more. But when we talk about the things that God has for us, when we talk about where Jesus is in heaven, we are talking about ultimate reality. Let me show you in another way. Paul talks about marriage. And he says, marriage is a picture of the reality of God's relationship with the church. Now, did you hear that? It's not that God's relation to the church could be understanding if you think about marriage. As if marriage between a man and a woman is the real thing, and then God and his people is the shadowy, misty thing. No! Marriage will not last forever. Marriage is a powerful picture, though, of a man knowing a woman, a woman knowing a man. And even more real than that, as we read in this scripture today, God is going to bring a new covenant. And he will be our God. And we will be his people. And in that is the picture of true marriage. The reality of marriage. Amen? And then we see in this passage... Right off the bat, we see the author of Hebrews talking about this high priest who, like we just talked about, he ministers in a tabernacle. He says that the tabernacle that Moses and Aaron had, all of them out in the desert, was a copy, was a shadow. But then he says that this high priest sits at the right hand of majesty. Man, makes me think of the deacon Stephen. 
the first martyr, the first one who died for his faith. And what happened as they were stoning him to death? He was able to look up and God gave him a vision and he was able to see he was able to see God sitting on his throne and he was able to see Jesus, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of the Father, standing for him, Stephen, full of grace and power. What I want you to know, that the whole entire gospel, what this whole good thing that we have to share with everybody, that God has given us this command to share with everybody, is this simple reality that God is for you because of Jesus. That Jesus, the high priest, sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's sitting for you. He's for you. He's a priest who's a mediator for you. He's a priest who's praying for you. But Hebrews adds layers and layers and layers to that simple reality that, 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 that God is for you because of Jesus, right? Hebrews adds layers and layers and layers. So let's look at some layers tonight. First one is, we get this language of covenant. And what is a covenant? It might be helpful to talk about uh, another culture I experienced. You know, we lived in Central Africa for five years. We lived in Rwanda. And in Rwanda you had, in the past, you had two tribes. You had the Hutus and the Tutsis. Now, in reality, before colonization and all that, these were more like caste categories than racial categories. And the Tutsis were the ones who owned the cows. They were the cattle people. And the Hutus were more the, the peasants who worked the land. And so the Tutsis were the people of war, the people with influence. And if you were a peasant, if you were a Hutu, you could become a Tutsi, which is something that kind of changed over time where those, those categories became permanent and racial. But before that, there was this sense where you could have a, a certain number of cows and you could be elevated and become a Tutsi. But here's the deal. If you are a Hutu, if you are in that peasant group, if you are a farmer, you have a five-day week, not a seven-day week, but a five-day week. Two of those days, you go and you farm for the Tutsis. You farm for these people, these people who provide protection for you, these people who give you a share of the, the beef so you can have some meat. These people who will protect you and also, if you don't do it, will punish you with violence. And so what you had was a society where you had a powerful group of people in a pact with, and they were a minority, about 10%, and then you had the larger group of people who were in a pact, a covenant they gave a certain amount of time. They gave their certain amount of their crops. They gave their loyalty. And we saw this. We saw this with Abraham, right? Abraham is able to take out the ten kings. And this Canaanite priest named Melchizedek shows up. And what does he do? He blesses the priest, Melchizedek. He gives a 10% of all the spoils from his war. What's happening? 
Well, not that long ago, when you were growing up, you, there was this thing called being a, a blood brother, you know? Take, uh, cut your hand a little bit. Somebody else cut their hand. You shake hands. Now, that's something that's a little bit hard for us nowadays with COVID, HIV, tuberculosis, all these things that we're afraid of and should be. But what's happening is, is that there is this blood oath that's saying, I agree to do what I said, and I spill my blood as a symbol of the reality that if I don't do what I say, may I die. That's what a blood oath is. It's just to say, this blood represents my life. And in mixing this blood, I will die if I don't do what I say. Remember as you were, you were a little kid, you say, cross my heart and hope to die. You know, not a good idea. <laughs> now God entered into a blood oath with Israel. God, our brother Chris shared this a few weeks ago where Father Abraham, the patriarch, was having a dream and he laid out all these animals. He cut them straight in half and put one on the right side and the other on the left side and he remembered that God himself walked through those animals as if to say that I am the one who keeps this covenant. If I don't bless you, may I be destroyed like these animals. talking to Dylan this afternoon, and we were talking about the typical seminary professor lines, you know? And um, you're in seminary, that's a school for pastors, and you get into big picture ideas. Covenant is one of those big picture, one of those big words in the Bible. And you say, what's the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant? What's one word? that can describe the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. And, you know, the class goes wild, and they, ask, they offer all these different words and these different ideas. And, yeah, we read it over and over again right here in Hebrews 8. The difference is this simple, simple word, the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant, is that the new covenant is better. And we've seen this throughout the book of Hebrews the, the other seminary line, right? The other past, uh, preacher, professor line is, you know, the New Testament is the best book I ever read on the Old Testament. Now, the book of Hebrews is like a, like a letter in the New Testament, which is like a book on the Old Testament on Red Bull. It just like drank like 10 Red Bull. It's going to stay up all night. And we're going to see, and we have been seeing, that Hebrews is just riffing on all the deep themes of the Old Testament. And now we're here on covenant. And we saw already, we saw that Jesus is better than the angels. We saw that Jesus is better than the prophets. We saw that Jesus is better sacrifice than lambs and goats and birds. We see that Jesus is a high priest who's better than Aaron. And today we're seeing that the Holy Spirit 
gives us a better plan than the law. Amen? And Paul, the apostle in Galatians 3, asks us, are you so foolish, having begun by faith, you want to complete by the works of the law? And the answer is a loud yes, unfortunately. He says, you saw miracles performed among you. Let me ask you, did you see miracles performed among you because you saw Jesus portrayed as crucified and you responded in faith and saw the work of the Spirit as you responded in faith? And now, after all of that, where you receive the good news and joy and you received it as a gift from God, now, after all of that, you're telling me you want to go back to the law? The answer is yes. And we see so much interest in these messianic prophets, endless blogs being written, endless podcasts, preachers on TV. The thing is, is that you and I, we are hardwired for performance. Like, tell me the stuff I got to do. <laughs> tell me what I got to do to wash away the shame in my life. I know Jesus forgives me and all that. I know he's for me. But, like, I want to contribute. Tell me what I can do. But I want you to hear this. The old covenant, listen to me carefully. The old covenant is like the history of your girlfriend before she becomes your wife. But now you live with your wife. Amen? So the history matters. Anybody would tell you that. The history of your wife matters. You don't ignore it and you don't like, oh, I'm not going to ask no questions. Past is in the past. That is a bunch of you know what. History matters. And the old covenant matters. And there's a lot to get out of learning the old covenant. And we read it to see Jesus. But I want you to hear this. You don't live with the old covenant. You live with Jesus. You don't live with the law. You live with Jesus. You don't live with your girlfriend how she was. Now you live with your wife. And so the Ten Commandments, the, the seven feasts, that Israel had, the, the lives of the saints, the words of the prophets, the prayers of the Psalms. We, 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 we look at these all the time. We say them in church. We, we remember them. And after I wrap up, if you saw on Facebook, I posted a, a plan to read the, the, the whole New Testament in seven days. A great challenge. I encourage you to do something like that. 2020 has sucked, amen? So why not be able to say 2020 was rough, but I read the New Testament. That would be a blessing. But today I just ordered a, an English translation of the Septuagint today. That is the, that's the Bible. That's the, the translation and the group of books that the early church used and had it was the Greek translation because I want another layer another layer why to see Jesus who completes the law 
You know, on Facebook, there's a spot in your profile where you can list what religion you are. And so many of our friends, if they had to fill it out and be completely 100% honest, the, the thing they would put under religion would be nostalgia. You know, it's like, it's like I post the cross with the American flag wrap around the cross and, and all this stuff, but you're not going to see me in that church, <laughs> in any church. I, 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 I like to think of a time when, when things were a little different and now I feel threatened and it's nostalgia. It's nostalgia. I have friends who have even more nostalgia. I have friends who are heathens. They call themselves heathens. And they're like, nah, I don't even worship Jesus. I worship the old gods. My religion is nostalgia. We can be like that with the Old Testament. We, we can live with the, the, the old covenant like, like we're focused on our wives girlfriend past history before they were our wives and we're, we're, we're thinking about how things used to be and we're missing out on the blessing that, that we have right now under the new covenant. We love rituals and rules more than the ruler. We want to chip in. We want to clear some shame with our own hand. You know, the law is like that old black and white TV with the rabbit ears, and the knob would fall off, so you'd have to use one of those special, like, adjustable wrenches to change the channel. And that TV might be fine for the basement or the garage or something like that, but you want to have in your living room the biggest TV you have. If you can, you want to have that HD, right? You want to have it in color. And what I'm trying to say is that under the New Testament, the, the new covenant, we see in Jesus a better promise. We see clarity. We see what God is like. So brothers and sisters, do you want to grow? If you stay near Jesus, grow in this. Bring your best picture of God that you have in the place that you live the most. In the old covenant, the truth and goodness of God was often described externally and was given out through priests and rituals. And so many of us are really, we really, really gravitate towards that still. It's scary to have the responsibility of like, Oh, there's no, like, defined rules. I just walk with God in love, led by his spirit. Let me go back to being a child where you just tell me what to do. <laughs> you know? But we're out of the house. He promised to write his law on our hearts. Now some see this prophecy, they shall no longer teach one another, know the Lord, and get confused. And they say, well, I don't need church then. I don't need a pastor. God's word is written in my heart. You know, this phrase, know the Lord, it's, it's not just like know a bunch of facts about the Lord, but it's 
This idea of be in relationship with him. And I'm sure you heard the cliche, right? That the, the furthest distance in the universe is the 18 inches from your head to your heart. God wants to know you and you ought to know God. And that's something that you can't just do in your head. What we're getting at is not that there isn't a ministry for prophets and pastors and apostles and evangelists as we learn in Ephesians 5, right? It's not that God hasn't called us to to submit to one another. All these commands we see spilling throughout the New Testament, it's not that we have nothing to learn from anybody else. But it is this reality that the best pastor is the Holy Spirit. I, I, I can tell you so many times I've gone to someone's house and I'm praying for them. And I know that there is something that's happening in their life. There's something that I'm going to challenge them or comfort them. And I don't think that I and my human ability are, am I, are really going to be able to help them with. It's beyond me. And I go to the house and I'm praying for them. And by the time I get to the house, the great shepherd of the sheep, the Holy Spirit himself, has already worked it out. This is what we have in the new covenant. In the old covenant, the Holy Spirit would come upon God's people, would empower God's people, particularly leaders, particularly leaders and prophets and kings, and he would give them power to do tasks that he had called them to accomplish. But now in the new covenant, we know Jesus personally. We talk to God as a friend because we have a high priest who's a mediator. We're able to gain access to God. Brothers and sisters, we no longer are Googling a person we're dating to try to learn about them and learn facts about them, but we're married to them. We live in the same house. And what I'm trying to say is that if you are in Jesus, this is what you have now. You walk with God through Jesus. Let me take you as we close to this old well. There's this poem by this Scottish preacher from 300 years ago. His name was Ralph Erickson. He said, A rigid matter was the law, demanding brick, denying straw. But when the gospel tongue it sings, it bids me fly. And gives me wings. I want you to hear that. The law, just like Pharaoh. You ever felt like this? You ever felt like this? You come to church. You hear the Bible read. Somebody in your family, a friend is telling you, hey, you got you to gotta try harder. You got to do X, Y, and Z. And you feel like a slave in Israel. You feel like someone saying, make bricks, but you're not going to get any straw. You feel like you're being asked to do something that you can't do. And if you're honest with yourself, you have to come to the point where you realize, I may want to help all these people around in my life, but I can't fix myself. I can't change myself. 
the law tells you to run. And you're sitting in a wheelchair. But the gospel, the new covenant, it tells you to fly. It tells you to fly. And it gives you wings. It tells you, listen, these laws are good. And they, they reflect God. And you can learn some history about God. You can learn some of his character. You can point out your need. But here's the thing. I'm asking you to fly. I'm not asking you to run. I'm not asking you to, like, check off the bare minimum to be ritually clean and to not fall into grave sin. I'm not asking you just to show up to church every week. I'm not asking you just to tithe and just to be a respectable person. I'm asking you to be sold out for me. I'm asking you to give me your heart. But as you do that, I give you my heart. I pour my spirit into you, and you are made new. And I give you wings to fly. God gives you exactly what you need to follow him. Amen? So brothers and sisters, we are free. We're free in how we relate to our neighbors, our family, our friends. This is huge. You don't have to manipulate anybody. You don't have to browbeat anybody because you know this for a fact, that the law is not going to change them. You are not going to give them a ministry of frustration. And that ministry of frustration and anger isn't going to change them. We're not going to be like Darth Vader, where you just go up to people and you're like, I find your lack of faith disturbing. Where you're just like, hey, why can't you just have more faith in Jesus? But you know that this is a gift from God. This is a gift from God that is given and applied through the Holy Spirit. And finally, you're free for yourself. You're free for yourself. This is huge. Brothers and sisters, you're free. This is a gift from God. Listen to me. He writes his law in your heart. He puts it in your mind. Pray to him. Spend less time beating yourself up. Spend less time feeling sorry for yourself. Spend more time asking God to help you. And just let him work through you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your better covenant. I thank you, God, that you write your law on our hearts, in our minds. I thank you, God, that you are so good to us, that you sent your son to this world, that we would be lost. The law wouldn't have changed us. As we learned today, if it would have changed us, you wouldn't have had to come and you wouldn't have had to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done for us. Amen.